Well, good afternoon, everyone, and it's good to be back here in uh, Kensington Temple at the 11 o'clock service. I want to say thank you to uh, the leaders in the house, Pastor Colin, Pastor Bruce, for asking me to come and preach today. It's always an honor and a privilege to stand on this platform to minister uh, the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. And I pray today that your lives will be blessed. Amen. I pray that you'll be challenged. I pray that we'll be encouraged. And I pray that you go out of here today wanting to go and be salt and light in our world. Amen. If you got your Bibles, please go with me to the Gospel of Matthew. The Gospel of Matthew, chapter 13. Chapter 13. I'm going to be telling the story uh, about the parables in uh, the Gospel of Matthew today. But I want us to go to verse 47, which is where I'm taking my, my text from. The Gospel of Matthew, chapter 13, and I want to read from verse 47. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a dragnet that was cast into the sea and gathered some of every kind, which when it was full, they drew to shore, and they sat down and gathered the good into vessels, but threw the bad away. So it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come forth, separate the wicked from among the just, and cast them into furnace of fire. There will be wailing and gnashing of teeth. Jesus said to them, have you understood all these things? They said to him, yes, Lord. Then he said to them, Therefore, every scribe instructed concerning the kingdom of heaven is like a householder who brings out of his treasure things new and things old. In this chapter of the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew deliberately collected for us seven parables of the kingdom of heaven. He collected these parables and uh, uh, scholars believe that Jesus told this parable on the same day because if you look at chapter 13, verse 1, it says uh, that on the same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat by the sea. And so he sat by the sea and he began to talk about the kingdom of heaven. And Matthew was more concerned about presenting Jesus as the Messiah that the Jews were expecting. He, was, he, was, he wanted to present Jesus as the king of the Jews, the one that is bringing in the kingdom they were expecting because the Jews were expecting uh, a king that was coming on a white horse with a big sword that was going to drive out the Romans. And Matthew was saying, no, you've missed it. This is the king. Jesus is the king. He's come and he, this, is, this is the kingdom that he's, he's bringing. And so he explained that up to Chapter 12, and there was rejection and all that stuff. But in chapter 13, he collected these seven parables, the parables that Jesus told about our, what is happening in our age now. And scholars believe that Jesus was talking about the church age here. What is going to happen? And so the first parable was the parable of the soils or the parable of the sower. The second parable was the parable of the, of the, of the, of the, of the tares and the wheat. And the third parable was the parable of the mustard seed. And the fourth parable, the parable of the living. The fifth parable was the parable of the hidden treasure. And then there was the parable of the great price. And of course, the parable of the dragnet. 
And my text is taken from the parable of the dragnet. And uh, in studying this passage of Bible, I realized that Jesus was trying to tell a story. He was trying to show us what is going to happen in the church age, how things are going to pan out in the church age, and what is going to happen at the end of the church age, how things are going to be. In our lifetime, and he was telling these this parables, and then he came to the disciples, he said to the disciples, have you understood all these things? It was very important for Jesus, to Jesus, that the disciples would understand what he was saying. And they said, yes, Lord. And my, my prayer today is that at the end of this service, you would understand these things that Jesus is trying to tell us. In our world today, we look at the society and we are not, if you're a Christian, you can't be happy. We can't be happy with the way society is going. We can't be happy with the things that are happening around us. We can't be happy with the corruption, spiritual corruption uh, that is happening in our world, in the church, and sometimes in the lives of believers also. And so this message today, I pray we will be able to apply, to, uh, apply this message on three levels. We'll be able to apply it to the world that we see around us. We'll be able to apply it to the church as we see today. And we'll be able to apply it into our own personal lives. And um, a parable is, 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 is from the Greek word parable, para and bowl. Para, which means close, beside, like the Holy Spirit, the paraclete, paramilitary, paramedics, something close to, something called alongside with, and bowl to cast out. To cast along. So a parable is something that is cast along a story. A parable is a story that is meant to explain spiritually things that are happening naturally. And so in these parables of Jesus in, in chapter 13 of Matthew, Jesus began to talk about what is going to happen. The parable of the soils or the parable of the sower, as we know it, is about the fact that the word of God is going to be preached. That's the word of God. The seed of the word of God is going to be preached in the world. And there are people that will outrightly reject the word of God. And those are your Richard Dawkins and your Christopher Hitchens and all those people who call themselves atheists uh, that don't want to know anything about God. And so there are also some people that they would hear messages that are very, very sweet uh, and, and, and easy to to latch onto the, I call them the, 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 the cake and the, and the ice cream messages uh, that sometimes we hear uh, in church, motivational messages. The fact that Jesus would, would, would put a lot of sugar in your tea. Your life would be so sweet. Uh, 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 you know, there's going to be butter in your bread and, you know, everything is just going to be easy. Uh, uh, you, you know, it's almost like a Cinderella story. You live happily thereafter. No, we live in a fallen world and that doesn't happen. I don't know about you as a Christian, I face challenges in my life that sends me to my knees. We live in a fallen world, and as long as we live in this fallen world, we're going to have challenges. Jesus never promised us living life forever, uh, 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 like Cinderella, there was no problem, no challenges. He never said that. If I said in this life, you're going to have persecutions. He said to the disciples, people will kill you, and they think they're doing God a favor. That was the, those were the words of Jesus. And so I don't understand this demonic message that some people preach and then 
Jesus is going to butter your bread. He's going to give you sugar and tea. He's going to do all this stuff and then all this stuff. And then if you want to give your life to Jesus now, please come. Of course, you will want to give your life to Jesus. If you don't have to do anything and your blessings are just going to follow you. No, no, no. He also said, if anybody is willing to be my disciple, you must be ready to take up your cross and follow me. Which means you must be ready to die. Die to yourself. Die to your ambition. So that you can say to him, Father, let your kingdom come. Let your will be done and not my will. So we see people who are going to outright reject this, this message. And we see people who would only hold on to the fluffy side. And if, you, if somebody holds on to the fluffy side and not the meat, if what you want is just the milk, like Paul said, some people, they are supposed to be, they're supposed to be teachers. They're still babies. They're still being fed milk. Yes, there's the milk of the world, and there's also the steak of the world. And I hope Christian is going to be giving some people steak this afternoon, you know, for the concert. Because only people with strong teeth eat steak. Only good Christians, tough Christians, eat the steak of the word of God. And we need that. So Jesus said, people are going to reject, and people are going to hold on to the ice cream and fluffy stuff, and such people, their Christian walk will be like the, the seed that is sown among the, the, the stones. Now, scholars tell us that it's not that you have pebbles on the sand. No, it's that underneath the soil, there's limescale rock around the Sea of Galilee, around the Sea of Tiberias, where Jesus was preaching. And Jesus was probably preaching at the time when farmers were around this sea, sowing their seed. And so the people he was preaching to could actually see what he was talking about. He was saying to them, you know, this farmer is going and he's casting his seed, he's sowing his seed, and as he turns around, some will fall by the pathway and the birds of the air that have been waiting for it will come and take it. And some, the seed will go into the soil but will not have root because they're only holding on to the fluffy stuff. And there are some that would hold on to both the fluffy but, uh, 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 and, and the good stuff, and, but they will combine it together. But when pressure comes on them, they will walk away. Somebody was telling me recently, in fact, I came across three people recently. Uh, this, you know, one of them said to me, Pastor, I don't think I want to come to church anymore. You know, and the reason is why? Because all I'm just asking God is for a little thing. Why can't he just give me a little break? Uh, Satan had come in and had begun to say to, to that person, God doesn't really love you. If God really loves you, why wouldn't he give you that job? Why wouldn't he give you that promotion? Why wouldn't he give you that wife? Why wouldn't he give you that husband? Why wouldn't he do that, that thing for you? Ladies and gentlemen, I, I want to say to you today, the greatest love of God that you can ever experience in your life is on the cross of Calvary. Yes. For God so loved the world that he sent his only son to die. Anything after that is an addition. God showed that he loved you, that he was willing to sacrifice his son on the cross of Calvary for you, that you and I, we don't have to do anything, but only believe in Jesus that he came, that he died for your sins and for my sins. And when we put our trust and our faith in him, his mercy comes upon us and we are justified. And you can, if you have genuinely given your life to Christ, you know that you know that you know that you are going to make heaven. That if you are to die tonight, you are going to be at the feet of Jesus, praising God. 
That is the greatest love. There's no greater love than this, than a man who lay down his life for his friends. Jesus' love was expressed to us on the cross of Calvary, every, at the whipping pole and on the cross. He showed us how important we are to him. He was willing to die for us. It's the greatest love. There are so many people out there who don't know Jesus and there's nothing you can do. You can never be as rich as them. And they don't even want to know Jesus. So it is not your life and my life does not consist in the abundance of what we have or what we don't have. Our life consists in the fact that in him we live, we move, and we have our being. That's who we are. We are Christians. We are children of God. He showed us his love by sending his son to die. And so fluffy stuff will produce shallow ground, will produce soil that is by the pathway, will produce soil that is among the thorns. And so Jesus says, that is going to happen. So when we see people who say to you, I don't want to know anything about your Jesus, or they create a new Jesus after their own likeness. The Bible says in Genesis 1, God created us in his own image and after his own likeness. There are a lot of people that are creating a God after their own likeness and after their own image. This is what I want my God to look like because my God cannot send people to hell. You know, God is too kind, he's too generous. He's too, he's too, they are creating a God after their own likeness and that has crept into the, into the church. There are people who believe, no, how can God send his own son to go and die on the cross of Calvary? That's cosmic child abuse. <laughs> I don't know what kind of Bible they are reading. Jesus Christ said, I have the power to lay my life down and I have the power to take it up. He did it willingly. He did it willingly. He wasn't compelled. He wasn't forced to lay down his life. And it's either you believe that or you don't believe it. And please, if you don't believe what the Bible says about Jesus, then don't call yourself a Christian because you are not. You're not. So Jesus says, these people will reject me. And because they reject me, and because of, there are some people in the church also who do not understand what it means to be a Christian, evil and good will grow together in the world, in the church, and sometimes in our own lives. If we're not careful. Evil will grow together. That's the parable of the tares and the wheat. But then he goes on to the next parable, which is the parable of the mustard seed and the parable of the living. And he says, the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, a little seed that when you plant it, it grows into a big tree or a big shrub and the bust of the air will come and nest in it. Then it tells the parable of the living. The living, the yeast that you put in dough and you put it in the oven and then affects the dough and the dough rises. So he's saying, for you and I, who are children of the kingdom, we might be hidden in our world today. But when we begin to operate at the level of a seed that is alive, when we begin to operate as the yeast, it doesn't matter the environment we are in, we're going to affect everything around us. Jesus wants, to, wants us to know that even though good and evil is growing together, there's a power within us that can still affect our lives. I'm comforted by this parable because I see the wickedness in the world today. I see the state of the church worldwide today. 
and I'm concerned. But then I come to the Bible and I take, I take comfort. Like Peter said, you know, the things that have been written before have been written for us so that, you know, we can take comfort from scriptures. I take comfort. Okay, Jesus said evil and good will grow together. But then there's a hidden power in me. There's a hidden power in you. The power of the kingdom. Because he said the kingdom is neither there nor there nor over there. Don't go looking up. The kingdom is within you. And Paul tells us in Ephesians that God is able to do exceedingly and abundantly and above all we can ever ask or think by the power that is at work in us, the power of the kingdom. So Jesus says, yes, some people will reject me. Don't let that shock you. I'm telling you now. Some people will be in the church and they will not produce. Some people will be shallow. Some people will fall among tongues. And because of all this, evil and good will grow together. But don't be worried about it. Don't be worried about it because there's a power in you that is meant to influence the world. And I was saying at the nine o'clock service that the Greenfield Tower disaster, thank God for Kensington Temple and some of the other people around. But then we were like that mustard seed hidden in this corner as the church on the hill and we affected a lot of people because of the compassion that was in the hearts of people. People came and donated. Even people who are not members of the church came and donated. Our church members were sorting things out. We were ministering to people. The birds of the air came to nest on that little seed that had now grown. That living is now uh, 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 affecting society around us. And that's what we've sought to do in this environment for a long time. The coronet was one of them. So many people in the community, a few people in the community, will come to, uh, to Pastor Colin and say to him, Colin, can we use your coronet? Oh, Pastor Colin will say, yeah, yeah, you can use it. It's for this amount and for that amount. And after they finish screening, their private screening, say, oh, don't worry. That's on Kensington Temple. And hidden in the society, we're affecting important people in the society. They know we're here. They know where to need help. They know, but there's going to come a time that that will blow out and we'll see the work of Christ in us in society in a bigger, at a bigger level. Let me hear you say amen. amen. We are the light. We bring light into a dark world. We, we are like a salt. We stop corruption. But then if we, if we take that light and we hide it under a bushel, then we are not doing what we're supposed to do. If as a salt, we lose our saltiness, then we are not doing what we're supposed to do. And Jesus wants us to understand this agenda in our society today, the way society is going. Jesus wants us to know that things are going to change drastically unless we put eternity in our hearts. Unless you and I put eternity in our heart. And sometimes we forget eternity. We focus so much on the life we're living now. I want you to imagine somebody getting on the plane and going to Australia. Probably 24 hours journey. A long flight. I, I want you to imagine that somebody has to do that by walking. You want to walk from here to Australia. And then you are worried about walking from Notting Hill Gate to the station, to Notting Hill Gate Station. You have a long walk. You are walking from here to Australia. But you are so concerned about your preparation from walking from not this, this church to the station. Compared to Australia, here to the station is absolutely nothing. And that's our life. Our life here is like walking from here to the station. 
Eternity is like walking from here to Australia. And we spend our life hoping and preparing for something that will end at the station. When there is another walk after the station to Australia. And we are not preparing for eternity. And we are compromising a lot of things in our lives. And Jesus wants us to know, whether we like it or not, in the parable of the tears, maybe you also are worried about what's happening in the world. Jesus says, don't worry. Harvesters will come one day. The season for harvest will come. And I take this to mean the day you are called into glory, the day I'm called into glory. The reapers will come one day, and Jesus says, they will separate the, the wheat from the tares. The wheat looks a lot like the tares. If you've, if you've seen the, the photograph, I've checked the photograph on Google. In fact, they call it bastard wheat because it's, it looks so much like wheat. And Jesus says, no, 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 because he said, the enemy has come and has sown this into the, into the field. And said, shall we go and pull them out? Say, no, 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 leave them. The harvest is going to come. And the reapers, the angels, are going to gather the wheat into the band and are going to cast the, the, the tears into fire. Why? Because if you go and pull out the, the tears, the wheat, and you don't pull it out strong, you may also pull out the, the, the wheat if you go pulling out the tears. And if you don't pull it out strong, uh, the root out properly, because you don't want to pull out the wheat, then when it comes out again, it comes out stronger. It becomes stronger. And so Jesus says, no worry. The harvester will come one day. They will separate the wheat from the tares. And then he goes on to talk about uh, uh, the, the parable of the living. That don't worry, evil and good is growing together. But there's a power in you that I have given you. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Everywhere you go, you bring hope. You bring faith. You bring joy to people. You, in your own way, you are affecting people around you. You are like the living. You are like that small seed that is hidden. That is affecting people. And then he goes on to say, uh, to talk about the parable of the hidden treasure and the, and the parable of the pearl of great, great price. And this is where we are as Christians today. This is what I believe we, begin, we must begin to do. He says, for me, I believe that what Jesus was saying with this parable of the great price and the parable of the hidden treasure is that you have to forget everything else and focus on the kingdom. The kingdom must be priority in our lives. If the kingdom of God is not, the kingdom of heaven is not priority in your life, the kingdom here and the kingdom hereafter, then we're going to compromise. And I was saying earlier on that an archbishop in this country, in the Church of England says, I can't go to sleep anymore. And why can't he go to sleep? He can't go to sleep because of the debate about LGBTI in the Church of England. And he thinks that the, the earlier we, we just accept everything that is thrown at us in the church, the earlier he can go to bed. And I say, dear Archbishop, perish your sleep. Perish your sleep. Because if you cannot go to sleep anymore about what is so clear in the scriptures, then we must understand that the tears are really among the wheat. That the hirelings have taken over the job of the shepherds. That the, the, the wolves are among the sheep, like Jesus Christ said. And what does that mean for you and I? That means for you and I, 
Our eyes must now be open. Our ears must now be open to know and check ourselves that I'm not part of the tears. I'm actually proper wheat. I'm not a bastard seed. I'm the original seed. That is what you and I will have to focus on. You can't go to bed at night because of that. I can't go to bed at night because I don't want any of my young people in Walthamstow to be stabbed to death. What keeps me up at night is praying and saying, God, I don't want a phone call that says, Pastor, you've got to come now. That's what keeps me up at night praying. Not things that the Bible has said, both in the Old Testament and the New Testament. And it's amazing how when you compromise a little thing, you will compromise a big thing. It's just that way. And I don't know about you, I'm concerned. I'm concerned that scriptures are being fulfilled in our lifetime. That Jesus said these things are going to happen. We're actually seeing it. There are people in our world today who call good evil and evil good. And there are a lot of Christians that have been swept along that. And I said to you, my brothers and my sisters, check yourself, are you still in the faith? What faith are you contending for? Was it the faith that was one hand, handed over to us? Let me read you something from my notes. This happened a long time ago. A Christian broadcasting organization sent out their policy for programming. And because they wanted to be politically correct, they said that when people want to come and broadcast on their station, they sent out this bulletin saying to them, when you are preparing your program for these stations, please avoid the following. Criticism of other religions. Don't mention the word conversion. Don't mention the word missionaries. Don't mention the word believers. Don't mention the word unbelievers. Don't mention old covenant or new covenant. Don't mention the church. Don't mention the cross. Don't mention crucifixion. Don't mention Calvary. Don't mention Christ. Don't mention the blood of Christ. Salvation to Christ. Redemption to Christ. The Son of God. Don't mention Jehovah. Don't mention the Christian life. And they said, why? Because the people listening are hungering for words of comfort. We ask you to adhere to this restriction so that God's word can continue to go forth. Please help us maintain our position of bringing comfort to these suffering people. Comfort? <laughs> comfort without Calvary? Comfort without Christ? Peace without the Prince of Peace? I said, perish your station. May the same fire that came for Sodom and Gomorrah come for your station. <laughs> Look, a couple of weeks ago, ladies and gentlemen, I was challenged. I went for our primary 12 meeting with Pastor Colling, and he had on his, uh, on his door where we meet with him a faceless Christian with the, with, the, with the title, Who Wants to Be a Radical Christian? And every time I go there, I forget to put my name. Because that was what he wanted us to do, to put our name, to become radical Christian. Please understand, there's nothing wrong with radical. Just like there's nothing wrong with fundamentalism. You know, when, when people say fundamentalist now, it's a, it's a very corrupt word. Everybody is a fundamentalist. If you believe in fundamental human rights, you're a fundamentalist. You're a fundamentalist because fundamentals means things that are not going to change. They are your fundamentals. So there's nothing wrong with fundamentals. 
And Christian fundamentalism happened years ago in the age of the Enlightenment when the church was sliding back and the church was embracing everything that society was saying. Just like we are now. We are embracing everything. Can you imagine this is a gospel? This is a Christian station. Don't mention crucifixion. Don't mention the cross. Don't mention redemption. Don't mention the blood of Christ. Don't mention Christian life. Don't mention missionaries. For goodness sake, what are we going to mention? <laughs> How can that bring comfort to people? It cannot. The problem of our world is not anything. It's not Brexit. It's not Theresa May. It's not Trump. The problem of our world is sin. Sin is the problem of humanity. That we are depraved in our soul. We are depraved in our thinking. We came with an original sin. We are people under the control of the prince of the power of the air, the children, the, the, the spirit that, that, that controls the children of, of disobedience. But God, who is rich in mercy, and by his grace, he took us out of that. Nobody is beyond the reach of Jesus Christ. Now today, Somebody was saying in the synod, a person that shall remain nameless, that the Alpha program of Holy Trinity Brompton is spiritual abuse. <laughs> oh yeah, oh yeah, the tears are also in the church. They are pretending to be wheat. And Jesus says you can't uproot them, which means you, as the, as the wheat, you must be strong. He, she wants people to ban, she wants the, the Church of England to ban CTI, LL Ministry, because they are all spiritual abuse. How can the Alpha program be spiritual abuse, ladies and gentlemen? As a Christian, evangelical, charismatic, Pentecostal, tongue-talking, Bible-carrying, crusade-attending, I think Alpha does not draw in the net strong. Alpha is a seeker-friendly program. That's the way it was designed. It was designed to say, come and look and find out whether Jesus is good or not. And somebody... Who thinks that they have more knowledge than Jesus? Says we must ban Alpha. Goodness gracious. And they are in the church. And they were very influential with almost all the past four archbishops. Only God knows what they've, they've gathered together about all our archbishops. That's why they can't sleep at night anymore. <laughs> Only God knows the dirt they have on them that they can't sleep anymore. No wonder they can't sleep. Spend years in Holy Trinity Bronte, this person. Spend years working with the president, you know, if <laughs> I read the letter, I know I had her talking about the letter one of the archbishops wrote when she came out. She came and she said, I'm a Christian. And the, the time she was going to come out, she decided that the people that she needs to speak to was, was Stonewall. Let me go and talk to Stonewall. As a Christian, you go talk to Stonewall. You call yourself a Christian. Ladies and gentlemen, I want to ask you a question. Are you a Christian? Are you a Christian? Do you believe any part of this book is not right? Because you believe, if you believe anything in this book is not right or is contradictory, I challenge your Christianity. I challenge your Christianity. Doctrines of demons out there. Oh, everybody is going to go to heaven. How can a loving God send people to hell? Well, I, 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 I suggest you look at the cross. I suggest to you that you look at the weeping pole. Oh, cosmic abuse. God cannot do that. Are you, saying, are you saying that Jesus lied? In case you think he's lying, he says, okay, if you want to influence your world, you must be ready 
to pursue the treasure. That's the parable of the treasure in the field. You must be ready to pursue the, the, the pearl of great, great price. He goes from the living and the mustard seed to this parable of the pearl and of the hidden treasure. He says, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. That when a man finds it, he goes back and sells everything he has to buy that field. Jesus is that treasure. When you find Jesus, the treasure. When you find Jesus, the alpha and the omega. When you find Jesus, the author and the finisher of your faith. Everything else pales into insignificance. If you see something important in your life that is above Jesus, I question your Christianity. I want to challenge you. What faith are you contending for? If your job is more important, if your life is more important, if your position in society is more important, God bless our dear brother, Tim Fallon, the Libden man. He used to believe that abortion on a market scale or you know, abortion at any, at any kind of given time was wrong. He used to believe that gay sex was wrong. But now, he doesn't believe that anymore. When this pressure came on him, when people shook him, they asked him questions about his faith, and yet he, he is not allowed to take his Bible to the, to the dispatch box. Don't ask me about my faith if I can't bring my faith into the public arena. It's none of your business what I believe. It's none of your business. Now, Teresa May was also handed, what do you believe about this? And she had to say, no, I don't believe it's sin. They are bullied, and they are oppressed, and at the end of the day, they crack under the pressure. Ladies and gentlemen, it would have been much, much better for her to resign as prime minister than to deny scriptures. It's easy for me to stand here and pontificate. The truth of the matter is, when my own pressure comes, will I crack? When your own pressure comes, will you crack? The only way not to crack is to pay attention to the parable of the dragnet. Jesus says this, the kingdom of heaven is like a dragnet. There are three ways you can fish. You can use your line and your hook. You can use the net that fishermen carry on their shoulders and throw in their boat. Or you can use a dragnet. A dragnet is attached to a boat. You start from the shore of the sea and then you attach the, 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 the net to a boat and you, you tie to the bottom part of it a, a, a lead weight. So that it sinks to the bottom. And then you take it to the other side. I'm talking about a net that's about four, four the, sizes of, the size of four football stadiums. So there's no way you can use that with your hand. You tie it and then you go around the sea in a circle until you reach the end of the net. And then you bring it back to where you started. So that everything within that vicinity, everything in this part is dragged in. Jesus Christ said it will drag it in. They drag it in. And after they dragged it in, what did they do? He said they sat down. Wow. This was not a job that is done in a hurry. The angels will sit down and they begin to sift among us. Oh yeah, you've been in church for 50 years. You've been in church for three years. You've been in church for six months. The dragnet day, the end of the age, is when everything will be dragged in. The dragnet is a net that drags everything in in its pathway. Dead, alive, dead wood, dead fish, dead whale, dead everything is dragged in. And so Jesus is saying, at the end of the age, the dragnet will come. 
Both the living and the dead will be dragged in. And the angels will sit down and begin to sift the good from the bad. And if you are caught among the bad, if I am caught among the bad, Jesus says they will take the good, they will put them in vessels. The bad, they will throw into another place and they will throw them into fire and there will be gnashing of teeth. Now, those are the words of Jesus Christ. I have it read in my Bible. And so this idea that everybody is going to heaven is contrary to the words of Jesus. And so for you and I, not to crack under the pressure of life, not to crack under the pressure that is being put on us as Christians, not to shut up when we are being told that we can't talk about Christ, but not to, not to, not to become the Archbishop of York. That's the person I'm talking about. John St. Tamu is his name. He can't go to bed at night. What to you if you are not caught in the, in the, in the good part of the, of the dragnet? You're not able to sleep at night. Goodness gracious me. You're not good. You're not able to sleep at night because of what, you, what Jesus had paid the price for. Because you want to sleep at night, you must com compromise your faith. Ladies and gentlemen, for you and I not to crack under pressure. For you and I not to place our position, whether you are the archbishop, whether you are the archpope, whether, whoever you, whatever your title is, you must keep in mind the parable of the dragnet. That one day the dragnet is coming. The tears and the wheat, when the harvest has come, the reap has come, that's the day you get called to glory. Your day might come today, my day might come tomorrow. But Jesus says the dragnet is at the end of the age. When everything is coming to an end, when this world will be rolled up like a carpet, when everybody will stand be be before the judgment seat of Christ and give account, that is the day that keeps me awake at night. Because Paul says, when I've preached to others, I don't want to be a castaway. Because Jesus Christ said that some people on that day, I will say to them, I don't know you, you are workers of iniquity. And they will say to him, but we did miracles in your name. We preached in your name. We did say, get, get away from me. You are still workers of iniquity. That is why we must behave like the, like the psalmist. Every day of your life, you must say, you must say search me, O God, and see if there's any iniquity in me. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit from me. Don't cast me away from your presence. Psalm 51 says, we are in that age, ladies and gentlemen, when the pressure is going to increase. Why? Because Jesus said so. What are you going to believe? What are you going to believe? On whose side are you going to fall? When the dragnet is brought in, where are you going to be? What is, it, what, is, what is your portion going to be? I pray for you today under the sound of my voice that your portion will be with the good that is sorted out into the vessel. That your Christianity, your sacrifice will not be in vain. That's my prayer for you today. We are living in a difficult world today. But then, thank God for the parable of the living and the parable of the seed, of the mustard seed. It doesn't matter how dark our world becomes. Our light will shine brighter. Amen. We are still the city that is sought upon the hill that cannot be hidden. But in order to occupy that position that God wants us to be in, we must pursue the kingdom. Ah. The pile of great price. I read in my research that 
Those pearls, you can only find them in the, in the depth of the sea, the very, very deepest part. And in the days of Jesus, there were no scuba diving uh, apparatus. If pearls are still very valuable today, Pastor Collie will probably be chasing them. You know he's a scuba diver. <laughs> He'll probably be chasing them. But artificial pearls don't allow the natural pearls to make, you know, to be, to be significant anymore. But in those days, for you to find the pearl of great price, you will have, they will have to tie a very big stone or rock around your waist. And then you will jump from the boat into the sea so that the stone helps you sink quickly. Because you are going down with only one breath. And then you go down. And when you get to the bottom of the sea, the first thing you do is to untie the stone. Woe betides you if you don't quickly untie it. <laughs> and, you, and the breath in you expires. And so you begin to look for the pearl. You begin to look for the pearl. And then when you find the pearl, you come up. And because of the risk that is taken, because of the dangers involved, the pearls, when they are rounded, when they are shaped properly, and when they're shiny, they are very expensive. They're very expensive. There are so many things about the Roman Empire and the Greek Empire about, 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 about pearls that I read. Very interesting stuff. But then Jesus Christ said, there was a merchant. He collects and invests in pearls. We don't know whether he had 350,000 pearls. Maybe he had half a million pearls. Maybe he had three million pearls. But he, has, he had a lot of pearls. And then one day, he came across this one pearl of great value. And the Bible says that he went and sold every other pearl to buy this one pearl. Jesus is saying, when you find me, I'm that pearl of great price. When you find me, you find what you're looking for in life. Amen. The treasure in the field is Jesus. When you find that treasure, you go sell every other thing, every other, like the songwriter says, when I look into your holiness, when I look into your loveliness, when all things that surround me become shadow in the light of you, when you see the glory of Jesus, every other thing, the diamond, the gold, the pearls, they pale into insignificance. If Jesus is not like that to you, then you, need, you have some work to do about your faith. I remember, as I was saying at the nine o'clock service, when I became a Christian, Went to Bible school in Nigeria. And I was saying, you know, graduating from Bible school and knowing that I was going to be commissioned to now go and practice what I've learned. I remember praying to God and saying, God, everything I've learned is about your kingdom. Everything I've learned is about Jesus. Everything, I, I, you know, I came to a conclusion in my heart. That I said, Lord, if there's something I'm going to do tomorrow that is going to drag your name in the mud, that is going to drag Christianity in the mud. Please take my life today. Because I don't think anything is worth my relationship with Jesus. That's my belief. That's what I believe. Our lives here on earth is like going to Australia. And sometimes we compromise because of the journey from here to the station. Eternity is like going to Australia, sorry. Life is like going from here to the station. And for me, I don't think it's worth it. You may be as old as Methuselah or even grow older than Methuselah. The harvesters are coming one day. And if you are still alive when, you know, and the harvesters don't come for you, the dragnet is coming. 
And when we focus our, our eyes on the day of the harvest, when the reapers are coming, when we focus our eyes on that day when the dragnet is going to come, when we know that it's appointed for man to die but once and after that judgment, when you forget this idea that somebody once said to me that, look, look, when I die, when I die, I, and if I had to face Jesus on the judgment throne, he would state his own side, I would state my case. <laughs> I can argue my case. I'm sorry you got it wrong. <laughs> because when you see his eyes blazing like fire, when you see the double-edged sword coming from his mouth, when you see his countenance radiant, more radiant than the noonday, there's only one thing for you to do. Why is me? And fall down on your knees as if you were dead. That's the Jesus I worship. Not the baby Jesus in the manger. <laughs> A lot of people can't get their head out of the baby Jesus in the manger. I worship the Jesus that John saw in glory. That's the one that I don't want to face on the judgment day and have to say, M, M. That day is coming for you and I. There's nothing we can do about it. The question is, how prepared are you? What are you ready to compromise? Oh, are you ready not to compromise? My prayer for you today is that you will not compromise. That we will keep standing. That we will understand that Jesus already said good and evil will grow together in our world. But we must be the seed. We must be the living and in order for that power of the living and the power of the seed to grow in us, we must pursue the kingdom. We must seek first the kingdom of God. The kingdom is ours and that he's coming for us one day. And if we if you lay hold of the gospel and not all the fluffy gospel that is out there, we are not going to find ourselves in the, in the, in the, among those people that Jesus is saying to, I don't know you. Your portion and my portion will be welcome. Well done, faithful and obedient servant. Now come into the joy of the Lord. For me, that's what I live for. I live for that day when I will hear my master say, well done, faithful and obedient servant. You come into the joy of the Lord. If you are not able to sleep at night because of the trends in society, I don't think that is going to be your portion based on the authority of the Bible. The good news is it's not too late. You are still alive. You are alive today. You are alive this minute. And you can reconcile to Jesus. Like the prodigal son, like the prodigal daughter, we can all come back home. Thank God that Hebrews tells us that we can come boldly before the throne of grace. That when you walk into that throne room, you walk, it's a throne. The throne is of grace. I want you to imagine the throne here. This is Jesus' throne here. When you walk into that throne room, the first thing that meets you is mercy. Because the blood of Jesus that the broadcaster said we can't talk about, made a way for you. The blood ensures, the blood of Christ ensures that you can come into that throne room anytime, any day, anywhere. And the mercy of God and the grace of God will meet you. And whatever it is in your life that you have compromised, there's grace, more grace for you to overcome it. Because we can find grace for help in time of need. So I'm urging you, as a Christian, you've given your life to Christ. You find Pressure. You have find pressure to compromise. One of my men was telling me recently that in, in his office, they said to them, uh, you need to wear purple to, to work tomorrow. Why do I need to wear purple? Oh, we are just identifying with the LGBT community. And he said, sorry, I'm not wearing purple. The other day, somebody comes again and says, these are cookies. We, you know, we are selling cookies. You need to buy. They're, they're not two pounds cookies. They're very expensive cookies. And he had to say to them, sorry, I'm not buying cookies. 
You compromise a little, you compromise bigger. Please understand that Jesus loves everybody. He died for everybody. You and I, we were messed up, we were insane. It's what by the mercies of God and his grace that we are here today. And so for those of us who are standing, let's not, let's not be cocky. Let's not be cocky. That's why we cannot allow Satan to take anybody in our, in our, in, in our area, in, in, in our realm of influence away. The same mercy of God that got you where you are today is available to everybody who wants it. And I think it's wrong for people to make laws that says, no, you can't help people come out of what they're struggling with. But that's the world we live in today. And I finish with this. There's no other solution. There's no solution. The solution is you and I. That's why Jesus left us here. We are the solution to the problems of our world. And that's why we need to awake. First in the spirit. Alive to God. Alive to God. Alive to our responsibilities as Christians. Oh, being a Christian has responsibilities. We have authority in the spirit. We also have responsibilities here. Because there's no authority without responsibility. Every authority that you shout out in the name of Jesus, there's a responsibility on you to stand for the kingdom of God. And my prayer for you today is that you're going to stand. 